They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are Monsters Out of the Closet. I'm Nicole. And I'm Shreya. Horror is a genre which challenges expectations and conventions. The stories told are often about those seen as grotesque, undesirable, or unapologetically different. Perhaps this is why horror has made such a historic impression on many of us in the LGBT community. But for all the resonance we may find in horror, many of these stories were not written for us and instead can promote bigoted fear of the oppressed. That is why in this month's episode, we are dedicating ourselves to reclaiming this genre for our own. Writing, reworking, recreating works about us and for us. Our first piece deals with empty promises horrific experiences, and, ultimately, righteous justice. It Gets Better was written by Venus and read by B. As far as spells go, it wasn't the most impressive. You expect the familiar yet foreign curls of Latin, or the impossibility of Gaelic, Perhaps some dark inherited memory provides you with the knowledge that the rhythmic pattern falling upon your ears is ancient Sumerian. English just isn't meant to be a magical language. The syntax is all wrong for it. It's especially wrong here. The spell lacks in a feature so critical in Western culture that its absence affirms a lexical failure. Even if you were to accept the unlikely promise of it all, at the end of the day it was a poor excuse for a spell. It gets better. When? What sort of timeline were we talking here? Delphi wanted to know, and the desire was quickly becoming necessity. Rainbow stickers and safe spaces aside, the taste of blacktop didn't agree with her. Nor did the spit in her hair. Maybe it was the gusto with which gravity had encouraged her to snack on tar today, but she was having a hard time coming to the same conclusion as the guidance counselor that it had all been just an accident. Yes, her fellow students had just accidentally lost control of their salivary glands, and it was just misfortune and coincidence that it landed not upon the floor, but upon her. Upon her hair. Again. Maybe they were awestruck, terrified of her unfeminine beauty, and in admiring her prone form had been unable to stop themselves from drooling. Surely. Surely it had to be a spell. Why else would someone be so certain that a mere trio of words would erase the impression of sediment embedded into her jaw? Would erase the memory of warm spittle slowly making its journey down the side of her face? It had been sufficient before. Before the quiet realization that her life would never again follow the expected trajectory. Before the weighty silences. Before she stood and watched her family pride themselves in traditions she was no longer certain she could ever be a part of. This was her catalyst. The beginning of a metamorphosis born of an improperly formed but nonetheless magical utterance. It gets better. But when? It had been years, and anything that could be defined as better had yet to rear its head. Quite the reverse. 
Once again, English language had betrayed the truth of her nature, or what they thought they knew of her nature, as it started to decorate any possession she left out of sight for too long. The length of the messages varied. Dyke, quit looking for attention. Girl or boy, doesn't matter, no one cares about you. Go to hell. Burn. A couple of times it was drawings of little caricatures of herself melting in a fiery abyss. It welcomed her in whispers as she entered rooms, or dismissed her as she left them too. It was just wicked children who knew nothing of what they were doing. The adults who did it didn't have the same excuse. Their words dug claws into her, hungry for blood. When, indeed. After her family discovered the news? After the indignities of middle and high school faded to a scar hidden by the shadow of her jawline? After she had lost the memory of her mother's smile of bitterness and distance? She'd started to lose faith in those magic words. At the very least, the pain of the whole ordeal was muted by the words, as if they rubbed warmed, calloused hands down her back. With her head nestled in Amelia's lap, gentle fingers stroking through Delphi's hair, she could almost remember her mother's calloused hands, giving comfort on a sleepless night. She could almost believe that it was better. Until her employer informed her that her partner was no longer welcome to enter the building. It was just too unprofessional, and besides, it was making her co-workers uncomfortable. What, like Janice's husband coming in every other day and snarfing all the staff room snacks was somehow the pinnacle of professionalism? And HR had the gall, the fucking nerve, to say it wasn't discrimination, simply a concern over protocol, and suggested, alongside a forwarded email highlighting mental health resources, that if sensitivity to the subject could inhibit her workflow in such a drastic manner, that perhaps an investigation into her other behavior issues and coworker interactions might suggest a change in placement for her to be the best possible option. Maybe she'd misunderstood. What if it wasn't a spell of healing, but a hex, meant to thicken her tongue, weaken the lids of her eyes, and turn her into a perfectly subdued beast for slaughter? What if... What if... No. No, even if that were the case, her options lay before her, scarce and unforgiving. No bumper sticker was stepping up to protect her. And finally, she felt it stirring, a bubbling heat at the base of her neck. As she paused before her walk home, it blossomed within her, flaring down through the very last nerve, each one announcing the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. Amelia paced the floor of her living room, computer askance on the ottoman as she tried again to reach her spouse. The online news board continued to update automatically on the screen, pinging occasionally, but other than to scan it and assure the absence of a certain name, she paid it little mind. She knew what it said. Some extremist hate group had taken it upon themselves to reclaim their territory from the queer invasion. Their targets were, in their words, those shameless enough to flaunt the errors of their ways. So far, the notifications only mentioned locations to avoid and pictures taken from a distance. 
and Delphi was late, really late, and not answering her phone or text, and she knew she knew they should have been more discreet, should have just accepted the assumptions that they were roommates, or just waiting for the right person, but there would never be anyone more right, and God, Delphi, where are you? There were enough people out and proud, and they shouldn't have borrowed the trouble, not when they knew better, and they should have just waited until it was more common, and Amelia startled at the sound of rapping against glass, but couldn't have been happier at the sight of... of Del? There could have never been anything wrong with her face. But even then, Amelia acknowledged there was something new there. And the excess of white showing around her irises, and the sharpness of her angles, and the crimson dripping from her smile. It was mesmerizing. Forgotten behind her, the newsfeed notifications began to think on a panicked tone, implying an exciting new update to the situation that Amelia could not bring herself to turn around for. Amelia unlatched the window and listened with bated breath. Delphi was breathtaking in the dim light, almost glowing, like an angel or an oracle. Delphi, God's apology for all Amelia's hardships, joyous and dark and trembling, opened her it mouth, does. unleashing the perfected it incantation, does get better. her grin widening with total disregard for the limits of the possible. It does. It does get better. The next piece lays to rest an unquiet ghost from an ancient religious epic. R.I.P. Akirtan was written by producer Shriya Venkatesh and performed by supporting producer Dara Rangan. And when the battle was won and the army of Rakshasas vanquished, Sita went joyfully from the garden where she had been held captive to seek out her husband, the glorious Ram, warrior, avatar, prince in exile. How many men does it take to purify a girl? How many rites and rituals? How many fires do you set to verify her words? How do you know? How do you ever know? Ram wouldn't even look at her. She had been held in Ravan's palace for months. How could he know that she was still his faithful wife, first among women, embodiment of the goddess Lakshmi? Well, if she burns, then she was pure. If she doesn't, she's a witch. She took a monster for her lover. She lived so she's a bitch, and oh, he can't trust her. You never know. You never, never know. They invoked the god of fire, Agni, for it was well known that fire purified all. When Sita walked through the fire unharmed, she was received into Ram's arms with celebration. 
a flying chariot took them back to the kingdom of Ayodhya, where Ram was finally crowned king after 14 years of exile, and Sita was crowned queen. But this is not the end of the story. I want badly to believe. I want badly to believe. I want to think that she's at peace, that it's waiting there for me, that the flames will bring not purity but peace. The men of Ayodhya could not believe in their king. How could he welcome back and hold as queen a woman who had lived in another man's house? The king was weak. He banished Sita to live in the forest. She was pregnant with his sons. I want to burn that palace down. I want to raise that golden kingdom to the ground. Break his bow over my knee, maybe then she'll be at peace. The one that's waiting there for me. I hope the flames will bring not purity, but peace. Years later, hunting in the forest, Ram encounters his sons and traces them back to Sita. He offers to bring his sons back to Ayodhya as his rightful heirs, and Sita? Sita calls upon Mother Earth. The forest floor parts for her, and she is taken back to the bosom of the world. The earth opens up and hallelujah, we come home to the dark. In the end, even gods are tainted by the skins of men, and manhood loves to leave its mark, but even then, we'll be at peace. The one that's waiting there for me, I know the earth will bring not purity, but peace. And that's where the story ends. If you are virtuous, if you behave, even if you fall victim to tragedy or ruffle feathers, if you can birth healthy, legitimate sons, you too can reach Nirvana. Six feet under. Oh, give me strength, goddess mine. She who has a thousand names give me knowledge give me wealth teach me how to walk through flames let the mountains quake for me oh then i'll be at peace because you're waiting there for me May your power bring not purity, but peace. Our final piece transforms the narrative of one of our generation's most infamous Gothic-inspired love stories, giving strength and purpose to a much-ridiculed heroine, and replacing a cliché love triangle with surprising new developments. 
Total Eclipse of the Heart was written by our producer, Nicole Kaland, and read by supporting producer, Lindsay Holt. The wind howls, whipping the torrential rain in all directions, battering the thin fabric of the tent. Small hisses and whimpers are lost in the whirl of sound outside. Bella applies an astringent to Jacob's chest wound as Jacob growls through the pain. Bella bites her lip and shuts her eyes for just a moment, occupied by their pursuers and the danger they were all in. Edward shuffles awkwardly from the other side of the tent, arms crossed over his chest. Will he be all right? Bella shakes herself out of her contemplation and applies the gauze quickly over the raw wound. Jacob, how long should this take to heal? Ugh, maybe a night? Maybe two at the most? Jacob hisses again, and Edward cringes, jerking forward slightly. I'm sorry you have to deal with this, he says, eyes darting to Edward. Both of you. Bella secures the gauze with some tape. That's ridiculous. This isn't your fault. A howl cuts through the storm outside. Bella shivers. I'm going to go grab the shotgun and some Molotovs from the truck. Edward's jaw clenches slightly, eyes flickering over to Jacob. Be careful out there. Just the necessities. Bella nods, quickly bracing herself for the cold and wet, and ducks under the flap and into the downpour. She runs to the truck. The door creaks open as she collects as much ammo and molotovs as can fit into a backpack. She swings the backpack over her shoulder, then grabs the shotgun. With the ease of long practice, she checks to see that it's loaded and cocks it, making sure the safety's on. She shuts the truck door and runs back to the tent. Bella stops just outside the flap to stomp mud off her boots, and then she hears Jacob's scratchy voice. I can't stop thinking about what happened. Hey, said Edward, we can't blame ourselves. There was no way to know the Soleil clan was in the area, or that they knew, or help that Sam would find us first and paint that target on our backs. I should have known better, Edward. Sam was getting suspicious, and Bella being a hunter, well, of course that would set him off. Bella feels her stomach tighten. She didn't realize that her background as a hunter would have broken her favor with Sam, and maybe even the rest of the Quileute. Edward was talking again. Maybe we shouldn't have gotten her involved. Now she's in danger, too. I think it's safe to say... We would both do anything to keep her safe. She means too much to us, said Jacob. Warmth blooms in Bella's chest for her friends, but something steals in her. Now is not the time for recklessness. You're right, Jacob, said Edward, but... His voice catches. If it ever comes down to it, if they find us, you find her and you run. I can hold them off. Bella can take care of herself, but I can't risk you. Jacob shifts on the sleeping pad. 
No, no way. I won't leave you. If anything happened to you, Edward, I couldn't. You're, you're my gravity, my everything. Without you, I'm lost. Edward sighs. I don't know what I would do without you. My own personal brand of heroin. Bella's breath catches, and she lets it out, slowly. She thinks about Edward and Jacob, their stolen touches and locked eyes over the past summer, when the three of them had trained together to guard against the more dangerous supernatural creatures that roamed the forests around Forks. She remembers the playful barbs thrown when the Cullens or the Kuwait were watching, contrasting with the hushed words whispered in private. She had not been totally oblivious to the way they orbited around each other, their delicate dance. Until, of course, the day they had slinked off while Bella was making a batch of Molotov cocktails. She followed them, and there was Edward, crowding Jacob against a tree. I can't keep doing this, Jacob. I know you can't either. I know what this is doing to you. You have no idea, said Jacob. I can see you. I see, smell, hear everything. Edward's hand hovered over Jacob's chest. I can hear your heart beating, Jacob. Jacob had shoved Edward away, a desperate look in his eye. Edward grasped Jacob's hand, turning him back to face him. Please, he said, don't throw this away. Sun streaked through the trees, and Edward's skin began to shimmer, light refracting into small prisms about them. Jacob sucked in a breath, letting it out in a shuddering sigh. His fingers tightened around Edward's. Edward smiled softly as Jacob took a step closer. His other hand went up to Edward's neck, where the skin was luminous under his fingers, tracing the dancing glimmer his skin, Jacob said, Edward, I could never let this go. You're it for me. Jacob's voice comes through the tent again. Come over here. Edward scoffs. I'm not going anywhere. You need to stay warm, and I can't help with that. Maybe not, says Jacob. But you can help with other things. Bella hears Jacob smile without needing to see it. Get over here, you grump. Edward grumbles good-naturedly, but there's the sound of bodies shuffling. Then the sound of a kiss and a small gasp. Jacob chuckles low. You're so cold, my lips are tingling. Edward replies, voice heavy. Kissing you is like kissing fire. Jeez, you really know how to lay it on thick. Another chuckle, this time from both of them. They kiss again, and Bella clears her throat. You boys better be decent. I'm coming in. A small squawk. Shit, you're like a damn cat, Bella! Jacob calls, and then whispering, Edward, why didn't you say anything? Eh, I was distracted. 
Bella smiles. A twig cracks behind her. She swirls, and in one fluid move, flicks the shotgun safety off. As soon as she sees the unfamiliar vampire clad in the sole regalia, she fires and reloads, already scanning the tree trunks for the next soldier. The vampire's head is blown clear off his neck, splattered into a mess on the tree behind him. In a moment, Edward is at her side, and Jacob stumbles to join them, grimacing slightly. Bella wastes no time, and when she sees movement behind a branch, she aims again and takes another sole out just as they step into the dimming moonlight. Edward, get Jacob out of here. He's in no shape to fight. No, says Edward. You and Jacob take the truck and go. This isn't about you. They would overtake the truck. You at least could stay ahead of them. I know you and Jacob want to look out for me, but he needs you now. I can hold my ground here. I still have some hunter tricks up my sleeves. Besides, she says, as Alice emerges from the tree line, I'm not alone. Bella! Alice rushes to Bella, hands running over her damp face, looking for wounds. Are you okay? Fine, yeah. Alice sighs and gives Bella a relieved kiss on the lips. Edward's eyebrows jump. When the hell did this happen? Bella rolls her eyes as she reloads the shotgun. Alice shrugs. I don't know. While you and Jacob were making googly eyes at each other and not being as subtle as you thought. I didn't have to be a psychic to call that one from a mile away. Jacob blushes, and Edward starts to reply. But Alice cuts him off. Look, we don't have much time. I've seen the Soleil's plans, and they'll be here by the time the moon goes into the eclipse. She points up at the shrinking crescent above them. They're vampire supremacists, and take particular offense to vampires forming relationships with non-vampires. That means shapeshifters, she looks to Jacob, and humans too, then looks over at Bella, counting her ammo. Does the family know? Edward asks Alice, also looking at Bella. Alice sighs. Not quite. This is fairly new, and it might be complicated, so we're giving it some time. But yeah, they know about you and Jacob. And they know about the Soleil. I won't say everyone is thrilled about you and Jacob. Emmett is being a little uptight, and Jasper doesn't get it. But family's family. They're all coming as backup, and should be arriving right behind me. Too bad Sam freaked out, Jacob mutters bitterly. I doubt we'll be getting reinforcements from my pack. I wouldn't be so sure, Alice says, just as a howl erupts from behind her. Sam charges in, shifting from wolf to human form, and approaches the group. Bella leaps into action, stepping in front of Edward and Jacob, shotgun pointed at Sam. He raises his hands placatingly. Hey, little hunter. No need to point that here. I'm not coming to make trouble. Jacob snaps. Then why did you come? You made your opinion on the matter clear. Sam sighs. Look, I just... I got angry. You know how we feel about hunters. And then I guess I couldn't imagine you actually falling for this 
frozen bloodsucker instead of one of us. It was like, I don't know, we weren't good enough for you. Edward can't help what he is, no more than we can, says Jacob, or who we imprint on. Sam sighs. I know. I'm sorry. He is. Leah emerges from the trees, loping over to join them. We all get that imprinting's not a choice. She looks pointedly at Sam. It's like the sun rising. Or like an eclipse, Jacob says thoughtfully, looking above. Leah nods her head in agreement. Sam reaches his hand out to Jacob. You're still one of us, and still our leader by blood. We will follow and fight for you. They shake hands. Alice clears her throat. But speaking of eclipses, Jacob, you need to go. Get away before the blood moon appears so we can make a stand here. The Soleil aren't far at all. If you leave now, you should have the advantage. Edward, it has to be you at his side. Bella. Bella is a goddamn hunter, Bella cuts in. And I can fight this fight for you both. She smiles quickly at Alice. As well as for myself. She cocks the gun again. Go! Edward looks back to Jacob, whose wound was still bleeding, red staining through the soaked bandage. He turns back to Bella and sweeps her into a gentle hug. We're not done talking about you and my sister. Yeah, yeah, Bella mumbles. Jacob joins the embrace. Thank you, Bella. She gives a quick kiss to his forehead, then releases them from her grip. Edward reaches out for Jacob, lifting him carefully into his arms. Looking down at him, Edward asks, You ready? Jacob nods. Edward gives a quick peck on Jacob's cheek, and they dash away in a blur. Leah and Sam shift back into wolves, their howls echoing off the mountains, quickly returned by the Quileute pack. The rest of the Cullens emerge from the west and start circling the bluff, clearly ready for the fight. With a nod, Bella and Alice place her molotovs in an arc around their position, by bushes and low branches. With a few sharp shots, any Soleil unfortunate enough to be in that vicinity will be getting a toasty surprise. Bella looks up, biting her lip as shadow fills the moon. In a single moment, the group is bathed in red from the eclipse. That instant, a bolt of lightning tears through the dark sky. But before the thunder can clap, Bella fires two shots. The flames from the Molotovs burn three of the approaching Soleil in the resulting ring of flame. Bella reloads the gun as thunder shakes them out. She glances at Alice and thinks, if your life was all you had to give your beloved, how could you not give it, if it was someone you truly loved? With her jaw set, a sense of calm settles over her, and Bella enters the fray. Vampires and werewolves. Fire and earth. 
spells, and curses, none of these elements are out of place in a typical horror story. But the heroines of these tales defy horror convention to reclaim space and create new stories, and we hope, dear listener, that your story grows just as powerful. Thank you to B, Tara, and Lindsay for your performances. Music and sound is by premiumbeat.com, Inspector J, then Bonkan, and composer Carter Burrell. To find out more about these pieces, our artists, and our readers, please visit our website, monstersoutofthecloset.com. Our next episode, Nature, will be released August 28th. In the meantime, we are currently seeking submissions for our upcoming episode, Transform, and our Halloween anthology. We have also updated our episode themes for the upcoming year, so make sure to check those out on our website. You can learn more about our new themes, submission details, and voice acting opportunities on our website's submit page. Stay up to date with podcast news through monstersoutofthecloset.tumblr.com and at pod underscore monsters on Twitter. Lastly, we want to thank our Patreon contributors and our listeners for keeping this inclusive and unique project going. Special thanks go to our supporting producers Dara Rangan, Lindsay Holt, Cerro Lopez, and Lourdes Kaland. And as always, if you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Or tell a friend about us. It really does make a difference. Thanks again. Monsters out. Monsters out.